Good morning. Good morning, everyone. You know, you're not supposed to be tired yet. You haven't eaten. Okay, if we'd have eaten before, I'd have been preaching to a bunch of sleeping people. Getting a little bit of ring out of this. But, uh, man, that song. <laughs> I love that song. That is my, I told Brooke this past week, that's my current favorite song. Not, not ones that Ignition wrote, that the worship team wrote, but just my favorite song, Flat Out. And it is just, it's difficult because we don't have it like a professional recording of it, so I get to enjoy it here. And I knew it wasn't on the agenda this morning. And my spirit was just crying out during worship to the Lord. Ah, I want that song so bad. And then he had to sing it. That's such a special song. Do you know that you're where you need to be? And I think that is applicable in so many ranges. But how about where you are with Christ? That's the most important range. Where you are in relationship to Him. Not, not if you're saved or not. I mean, if we're still talking about that, then, you know, there's a lot more after that. But where are you at in your relationship with Him? Where are you at that He can use you in this time? Today we will finish, God willing, um, what turns out now to be, I believe, a a three-week series. Again, I never know that ahead of time, but that's what it's turned into. And really what it is, is... A picture of of this grand mystery that we've been talking about, that the Lord shared, that was a hidden mystery to those in the Old Testament. We know that's obvious because Paul said so. And then Paul said it was the grafting in of the Gentiles. It was literally what would become the bride. But man, it went a lot deeper than that. It went a lot further than that. that. That even those in the time of Jesus Christ had no idea. Except that He had talked about it. God had talked about it in His Scripture all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout what we know of as the New Testament. This mystery that would unfold... I don't have a link or anything, but I think it has something to do with even those seven voices of thunder that we read about in Revelation where he said, no, 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 put your pen down, John, and don't write these down. Because how he would use the bride to literally make Romans 11.11 come to pass, which is making the nation of Israel jealous, how he would do that was a mystery. Even today is a mystery because there's nothing about the bride for Israel to be jealous of, right? It's been that way for a long time. But see, his mystery is what he is going to do in his bride. Those who would say yes. And he laid it out. I remember years ago he told me, If you want a blueprint for what I want to do with the bride, at that time I had no idea this idea of mystery or anything else. In fact, he told me, if you want a blueprint of what I'm going to do, go read the book of Zechariah. So I did. It was much like the first time I looked at blueprints to build a building. It's like, what? What is that? And then when I learned the process of understanding that, then it became easier. Well, it's been that way with the Lord. The book of Zechariah, I don't, I don't even know how many times I've read it. I mean, dozens and dozens of times, studied it hours and hours. And each time the Lord just keeps opening up pieces of that mystery. And so we started this a couple of weeks ago started going through 
a few of the chapters in Zechariah last week, and we're going to finish up. We're, we're not going through the whole book. It's not about that. I'm hoping today to get to the place to where we're at today. And then maybe the Lord will take it further in, in the future. But remember one key thing that we've been talking about. And that is, we know everything happens in the Spirit first. Right? It, it happens in the Spirit. It's declared in the Spirit. It's accomplished in the Spirit. And then it is made manifest here. Jesus, when He came and He died on the cross and rose again and ascended to the Father, there was a victory had that through that process that we have not seen the manifestation of, have we? No. But it is in the Spirit. Right? And that's what we got to get into our minds as to how real warfare works. If you don't understand the Spirit realm or how the battles are in the Spirit realm, you're going to be deficient in your fight and in your understanding of what this fight is. And that's what we've been talking about. But before we go any further, let me pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We lay down everything before you. And we give it to you. We ask, Father, that you send your Holy Spirit. That you speak this morning your truth. And what it is that you want to reveal. For it is only through your wisdom, the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, that we can even begin to understand the truths of what you're doing with your bride. So Lord, I I give you my yes. Speak through me according to your will. Help it not to be any of me, but only you. Because we're eager. We're eager for your Son to manifest His righteousness here on this earth. We know, we believe that it is coming and even upon us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, just just a couple of quick statements um, to catch you up to speed as as to where we're at. And if if you did not get a chance to listen or you miss it, any of it, I would encourage you to go back the last two weeks to the podcast and listen, so uh, you get some of the background on this. But one of the major things, and I'm not going to go through it again. You can go back to last week because I think that's when we talked about it. One of the major things that began to open up for the Lord to reveal what is going on as blueprinted in the book of Zechariah was chapter 3, when the court was opened. Okay, this is a very specific court. This is, for lack of a better term, we call it the court of nations. I don't know if that's what the Lord calls it, but we call it the court of nations because every nation is represented in there. Every nation had... From those who saw in the Spirit, they had a balcony section with their emblem or flag or whatever it was. They were all represented, every nation of the world. This court was opened up September of 2019 to us. And I went over that last week. Again, I encourage you. But I say it again because that was the beginning of this battle being done in the Spirit. That's where the seven principalities that I had talked to you about before and the seven under each of them were bound and cast. Right? That's where the Antichrist spirit was bound and cast. That's where the false prophet spirit was bound and cast. By the way, I think it was the Antichrist spirit and this is interesting. Um, and sorry, I, I'm, I'm not going to give a lot of background on it. Uh, maybe we could talk about it more later. I, I believe we read the transcript. If you want to go look it up on a Sunday morning, I did read the whole transcript. But 
of the court case, but it was, it was the spirit of the Antichrist when he went on trial and was found guilty and was cast. There was a reaction that came out of Lucifer, a reaction that came out of Satan that really showed how little he knows about what's coming. How little he knows about this mystery that is unfolding with the bride. Because his reaction was, wait a second, you promised me a timeline. And he's talking to God, you promised me a timeline. You said, and he was stopped. God said, I promised you nothing. He may have inferred. And you know what's interesting to me is, see, we know that Satan knows the Word of God, right? He used the Word of God against Jesus Christ even to tempt him in the wilderness, right? He knows the Word of God. He certainly knows it intellectually. He does not know it in his heart, clearly, obviously, and he can't. But he knows it intellectually, Well, there's a big difference between, as we've talked about before, intellectually knowing the Word of God and knowing it intimately. So you know how he learns of those things? By listening to people. By listening to preachers. By listening to prophets. That's how he gets his intel of what's coming up. So now you can look back and think, okay, why why did God keep this such a mystery? In the Word of God. Because when you start to understand the, word, the, the real mystery, then you look and you see, it's all over the Word of God. Which is what we've been going through. And that's exactly why. Because you cannot know this just intellectually. You can't. You cannot know this without relationship with Jesus Christ. Without the John 15 friendship that is built one-on-one with Him. You just can't know it. So Satan doesn't know it. And he has been surprised the last couple of years. Don't, don't let the manifestation of what you see in the world like, like lead you to believe that Satan's in charge of all this. He's not at all. He's not at all. The chaos that has come about, the violence that has come about, everything that has come about is simply because he's not in charge. You know the evidence of that because of the transparency of everything that's come about. Now the sad fact is nothing's being done even with the transparency. But that's coming too. See, transparency is always first. The evidence is always first. Right? If you go to court about something, what do they do? There's not a judgment passed until there's evidence presented. That evidence is becoming manifest. We see it all around us. So, let's go then to Zechariah. And we're going to, we kind of ended last week on chapter 4. We're going to kind of finish up chapter 4. I think we we got toward the end of chapter 4. Remember, Zechariah had a a vision. He had a vision of a lampstand with seven lamps on it, or seven, uh, a lampstand with a bowl on top. If I could give you this picture, it was a lampstand, a bowl on top. There were seven lamps that, that projected out, and then seven lips, I think, on those lamps, or something like that. I'm not going to begin to try and dive into all that right now for lack of time. But then it said there are two olive trees standing by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I find it interesting, I want to share with you, that uh, this idea of this bowl. We, we had several people, I want to say it was at least three, I think, I think Shannon, Brooke, and Anissa, and it might have been Wendy as well that saw visions of this bowl at different times, and, and this was, I don't know, maybe two years ago or something like that, this vision of this bowl. And inside this bowl was 
oil or gold or something, but the idea of it was that it was blessing over the bride. And I remember one of the visions, it might have been yours, Shannon, I can't remember, where where it was like teetering. It's just almost about to tip, almost about to pour over. Well, you can imagine in the vision that Zechariah had here of this candlestick, first of all, what's a candlestick represent? We know in, in, in fact, let's go there real quick. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. It goes, then we'll, we'll go down where it, where, where it gives the explanation of what it is. In verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay? Now, go back then to Zechariah and kind of keep your hand there. So I want you to picture in this vision you have a lampstand. Now, I believe this lampstand to be representing the bride, representing the church. Back then, it was not that kind of language, because there was no such thing as a bride, no such thing as the church, no such thing as the Messiah post-coming. Right back then, he was still coming. But this is a vision, as we saw in chapter 3, of times to come. It wasn't of that time. It was being used in people of that time but as a declaration of what was to come. So recognize that the candlestick, or the, this lampstand, is the church. So I get a kick out of going back to those visions that, that we had of this bowl. Because what happens when the bowl is on top of the lampstand and it starts to spill out? What's it pour over? It pours over the lampstand, Right? If you, if you have a bowl on top of a lampstand and it spills, it's going to spill down over that lampstand. So just, just a tidbit there that I, I thought was kind of cool. But then it says that, uh, as we read, it said there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. Okay, so I want you to go to Revelation chapter 10. We see this again when it talks about the two witnesses. By by the way, can I say something about these witnesses? Um, Just to put a little thought in your brain, because I know theologians love to kind of try and figure all this out, and and they think it's, well, it's probably like maybe Moses, or or maybe it's uh, Elijah because he didn't die, and and maybe Enoch because he didn't die either. But many say Moses because it was a lot of the uh, powers, if you will, you know, that, that God had given Moses in, in the uh, ten plagues and stuff like that. It's none of those. It's a witness. A witness to what? First of all, if you say a witness to Jesus Christ, dying and raising from the dead, then it couldn't be them It would have to be someone who was alive at that time, right? Even we're not witnesses to that, but that's not what it's a witness to. What is being witnessed? It's what comes out of Romans 11.11. Literally what will make Israel jealous. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole right now, but I do believe that the witnesses are contemporary to what is going on in the readying of the bride. Because they will be a witness to what he did, or what he is doing. Let's move on from there, though, because we're, he, he's talking about these two witnesses, but he says, and there are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the, the Lord of the earth. 
And then it goes down to talk about, you know, what, what happens and, and everything else. But what I want to point out here is that these two lampstands and two olive trees are the same things, the two olive trees are the same things being talked about in Zechariah. Okay, let's go back to Zechariah chapter 4. And where, where did I end? Uh, okay, verse 3, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward this top stone amid shouts of grace. Grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, and then we're at verse 9, The hand of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small beginnings shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees? which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out. He said to me, do you not know who these are? I said, no, Lord. Then he said to me, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Again, this caught my attention because when we had the court opened up to us, when we understood and saw what was in this court, There were two angels specifically that, I don't know if it's standing guard, almost like a bailiff would, or what it is, but they they were around the throne of God. These two anointed ones, that's not talking about human beings, that's talking about angels. So again, I'm, I'm setting up this idea of warfare. Okay, the courts were opened... Because that is where the decision is made of declaration of right and wrong and what is to become, right? I mean, that's how it is here. Certainly supposed to be that way here. Right? Anything outside of a court decision would be what? Against the law. Right? So we move and and breathe in a legal sense from what the courts say. It's no different than in heaven. And and again, I don't want to go back and regurgitate the last two weeks. Please go and listen to it again. Because out of Psalm 82, God said, when He gave those nations away at the Tower of Babel, He said, you have failed. You have failed talking to those seven principalities. You have failed to steward properly what you were supposed to steward. So I'm going to take them back. But we see all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, he never took them back. It was paid for. It was paid for. Jesus paid it all on the cross. But it was never taken back. There was never a time in history where Israel in the Old Testament or after Jesus Christ where the, the church reigned, where the church led in a global sense. It's never happened. But yet it's been paid for. So that's what started this, this mystery opening up in the Spirit. It, were, it was these court cases where systematically God started to dismantle the enemy and his ability to formulate action plans, if you will. That's why there's chaos. (laughs) Do you think the enemy intends this? 
Do you think the enemy intends all this to come out? And when I say enemy, I mean specifically Satan or Lucifer. No. No, he likes to keep things way more controlled because he uses the art of deception to draw not only the world, but the bride. And when there's transparency, he can't use that deception as much. Right? So in the Spirit, this has been happening. Well, okay, there has to be a transition from the Spirit to the physical. So that takes us to the next chapter. And this, really, where we're at right now, if, if you look at where we're at in the world, okay, we are in chapter 5. Hopefully moving quickly to chapter 6. But right now we're in chapter 5 as a people group. So let's, let's look at that here for a second. Chapter 5 verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw and behold a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. Its width, 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stone. Right here at the beginning of chapter 5 is when the war that has been in the Spirit becomes manifest on the earth. Becomes real. First of all, let's look at that a second. I find it interesting. By the way, anytime you see in the Word of God that there are things that seem arbitrary, there's no such thing. Okay, when he gives, remember Zechariah is looking at this, he's having this vision, and, and, and by, by the way, Zechariah's visions, I think, are more than what we would call a vision, because we see in chapter 3, his vision, he was, he was there, and he was interacting. I've had visions like that, and I, I can't remember what they call them. I know they call them something different, where you have a vision and it's like you are there versus you kind of see it on a screen or something, because I've had both, right? But what's going on here is pretty significant. So each thing he puts down has significance. He says, I see this big flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. Its width, 10 cubits. If you look into that, that has meaning. It's this giant scroll, 10 cubits by 20 cubits, and it's written on both sides. There's some meaning there. First of all, if you add the two sides together, it is the exact measurement of the holy place in the temple. Don't know what that means, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I kind of think what it means is it's coming from the throne of God. This scroll is something coming out declared by the Father. I also think it's interesting that it's written on the front and back. Because the only scrolls that were written on the front and back were deeds. They were ownership. Right? We see that in Revelation the scroll being written in the front and back. What is Jesus coming to do in Revelation? Take land. He's coming to take land. That deed given back to him that he paid for was what Adam gave away when he sinned. It was the deed. It was the authority of the earth. So I find it interesting that what is going out here is the authority of the Father to judge the earth. But specifically in two ways. One side, one curse. Everyone who steals shall be cleaned out. The word there 
and cleaned out in the Hebrew is really to be dismantled, to be taken from, to be emptied of. Everything you have is gone. So he's saying to those who steal, I'm going to take it all. I'm going to take it all. Now that's more than just, you know, see somebody's wallet that they dropped and going and taking it and walking off. See, think about it. People steal in legal ways. Doesn't mean it's not stealing. Theft is taking something that is not rightfully before God yours. Taking it, stealing it. That was one side of the scroll. And everyone on the other side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. He goes to explain that a little bit more in the coming sentence. He says, And the house of him who swears falsely by my name. Who, man, how many times do you hear somebody touting the word of God to depict it for their own use. You see it in politics all the time, right? That's what this is talking about. Well, I, you know, I swear by God, blah, 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 blah. That will be judged. That will be judged because what you're really doing is you're saying, this is what God says. And you're declaring it. And he's saying all of those who profess falsely that they are with him, that's what that second curse is. To go out and dismantle, empty, take away from, completely clean out all of those. The interesting thing about these two curses And this was before I even, like I said, so much of the book of Zechariah, the God God showed me to after the fact, like something would happen and he'd go show me, here's how it applies. Chapter 5, the first couple of verses is the same way. Those seven places in the world, and we talked about before, seven regions of the world that were controlled by uh, the Psalm 82 Elohim, if you will, small g gods, principalities, where the nations were given to them, they had these seven regions, and each region they were taken out of. Each region is to be taken over by the Lord's people, but... The Lord has sent me in the last year, starting May of last year, the very first one He sent me to was in England. The very first region sent me up to Stonehenge. Then I went to one in Africa. Right? I've been to one here. The last one He took me to was Brazil for South America and Central America. That was a couple of weeks ago. But the, and there are two, two zones left that I've not visited. He'll take me there when he does. Don't know. Not sure how he's going to do it. Because one of them you can't even get a flight to. But what did he have me declare at each one of those zones? Two curses. He had me declare two curses. And they were the very curses out of chapter 5. Each one was declared in those regions. So the manifestation of what's happening, you're now beginning to see what happened in the Spirit will now happen in the physical. Because it's been declared. There is a result of that. And that's what we see in the rest of the chapter. Verse 5, then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift up your eyes and see what is this that is going out. And I said, what is it? He said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. 
And behold, the leaven cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes. You know what, before I go on, let me, let me finish there. Because what's going on here is there is a gathering of wickedness being gathered up, if you will. You know, think of it this way. You know, if, if, if God were to go out into his field and he has goats and sheep and he want, wants to get rid of the goats because they're evil, just for the sake of this illustration, what does he do? He gathers them up, gathers them together. That's the picture of what he's talking about here with this leaden pot, okay? It could give you a picture of witchcraft and all that, and, and I mean, that certainly applies, and we'll see that in a moment, but it's all wickedness. It's all the things that stand against God are being gathered up, are being put into a single space, will be controlled. Now that is the biggest one that's hard to grasp. In this world right now, can you imagine all of wickedness being gathered up into a single place? I can't. I can't imagine it. I mean... I mean, yeah, maybe if we went into like, you know, a 20 by 20 space (laughs) and there were 10 people in there, maybe we could figure it out then. But the world, the whole world. But yet, that's what he said he's going to do. Just like Jesus said that you will rule just like he will, and we'll get to this, with a rod of iron. What does that mean? Why does Jesus rule with a rod of iron in the thousand year reign? Because we still have choice. Even when you get rid of wickedness, even when you get rid of the influence of wickedness, there's still choice. There's still choice. Adam had choice before anything was known about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? We still have choice. There will still be people that would choose wrong. So what this is getting rid of, in my opinion, is the extra influence that Satan uses to gain an advantage. Because right now the world is at a supreme disadvantage. And, and when I, I mean the world, I mean those who do not know the Lord as Savior. Those who have no clue. They are at an extreme situation where they can't see. Right? I mean, you see the effects of it. You see the way the world's going right now. All this transgenderism stuff. Everything, the way that the world is going. That they think is Right? They base it on a false mercy. They base it on this feeling of, well, you know, I have my values, you have your values, I can't, you know, push my values on your values. Okay, I have an idea. Let's not use my values. Let's not use your values. Let's use God's values. Because He's the one who created all of it. He's the one who has the right for us to use His values as a basis. So there's so much that, that Satan uses right now as a deception that it, 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 honestly it makes it easy for him. That's what's being dismantled. That is the wickedness that will be gathered into a single spot. I don't know how long this is going to take. I have no idea. I wish I did. But however long it takes, the culmination of it is the bride's rule. Is the bride trusting God to lead in this world? Because it even says that in the world, if if the world is led by the righteous, 
everybody loves it, right? They do. Even, even those who don't believe in Jesus Christ will enjoy the fruits of a leading with his leadership. So all of this is going to be gathered into one area and then it's going to be taken. And this was so interesting to me. So that, let's look. Verse 9. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the baskets between the earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? Remember, this is the basket of wickedness. He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. When you read that and don't understand, you look at it and go, huh? What? Okay, so let's pick it apart a little bit so we can understand. First of all, what is the land of Shinar? Babylon. It's Babylonia. It is where the ungodly system first started. But more importantly, it becomes the center of all activity when? When the bride's gone. After the rapture, when the bride is gone. So literally, what is happening here is you have a, you have what God wanted to do with Israel, and they rejected Him. You have Him now doing in the bride. When it is done, the culmination of it brings all of that control of wickedness into one spot, and it is transported and held for another day. Right? That's what it just said. It said it's taken to the land of Shinar to be held until a temple can be built for it. It's literally that that is the piece that helped me to understand what's going on. Because I never understood, well, Lord, if, if you come and, and you work through your bride and, and, and you bind up all of Satan's activities and all the demonic spirits, you take the land, they're all sent to the abyss. How does it, how in the world does it restart up again? Who would be so stupid? Then he showed me this. All that wickedness is being placed into a holding tank. I find it interesting. By the way, I know, I know that there are theologians that I heard of that said, well, you know, this is a picture of really two angels that are kind of carrying wickedness away. And no, it's not that at all. Those are two witches. First of all, they glide on the wind. But recognize that a stork is not a good thing in Jewish history. It's an unclean bird. Right? But more than that, it is depicted by gods of ancient Egypt. In, in fact, in fact, in ancient Egypt, a stork and the god that is depicted by him is known as the bringer of souls. So what's going on here is setting aside what has been dominant in the world now in wickedness, closing it up, capturing it, capping it off, placing it for another time. Because it will come rampant. <laughs> right? Satan will have a time. He will. We've seen it in the book of Revelation. It is literally the judgment for the sake of Israel, the judgment of the nations. That's what the tribulation is all about. So that is then being taken there for another time. So now I want to look at something else. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2. And I find this really interesting to me. And, and we're, we're almost there. We're almost there. Almost done. Hopefully. In Revelation 2 verse 26 says this. And this is to one of the letters of the churches. 
Remember, these are to the churches. This is not written to Israel. This is written to the church. This is written to you and I. And, and by the way, really dig into these seven letters. You could spend years on these. It, it, there's so much interesting, amazing fruit that comes out of those. But verse 26, To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as with as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I know maybe you're like me. I used to think that that's talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. That, yeah, I mean, Lord... He, he is going to rule with a rod of iron, and if I am a conqueror, as it says here, I will get to rule with him. There's a problem with that. There's a little foreshadowing here going on because he said, I will have him, the con- who, he who conquers, or them, if you will, I will have them rule with a rod of iron because of the authority that I will give them as my Father gave me. He's talking about a different time. That's why this is to the churches. He's saying to his partner, which is his body, I need you to get this because the head's got it. Right? The head's Jesus Christ. The body needs to be doing what the head is saying because all needs to work in unity to take what is theirs, to righteously rule what is their right to rule. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you guys are part of the bride so you get to all be kings and rule and, you know, we'll suppress the enemy and... You know, if someone doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, we'll step on their neck. It's not what he's saying at all. There are necks that will be stepped on, but that's in the spirit. That's in the very demonic spirits that, that push this ridiculous thought against those who do not believe. But he's saying you will rule. Why do you have to rule with a rod of iron? Same reason Jesus will have to rule with a rod of iron in the thousand-year reign. And, and by the way, that rod of iron does not mean oppression. In, in fact, it means clarity. Right? When you know the law, then it's only your choice. If you know the law and you're a, you have the ability to fulfill the law, and you don't, That is simply by your choice. People will still have choice. It doesn't say there won't be any death in the thousand year reign. It will, there will not be death that takes them like they do now through natural means. But there will probably be death. You wouldn't need to rule with a rod of iron without it. But that rod of iron is to rule righteously because then all of those, whether believers or not, would be happy with the righteous ruling. Why? Because it's Jesus loves people. If you're to be like Jesus, you should be loving people. We don't look to rule over people just to control people like the enemy does. It's kind of like your kids. Do you teach your kids not to touch the hot stove? Well, that's really, that's unfair, you know? I mean, what if they want to? That's just stupid. No, you teach them because of knowing what is good for them, according to what would happen. That's what the righteous ruling righteously will do. It's God's law. It's what produces a perfect harmony between the creation and the Creator. That's what ruling will be. It will be love. It will be 1 Corinthians 13. Because the enemy can't deal with that. 
How do you think the enemy is going to be bound up into that lead cauldron? It's by love. Now, we won't dive into that because love does not just mean mercy. Because Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. Gave the greatest mercy there was. But yet, for those who don't accept Him, there's no mercy. So love isn't just about mercy. Love is about leading for what is best for those you lead. That's what He's going to do. So we will rule as the bride. And then verse 28, I know a lot of people don't get this. And I will give him the morning star. This is what I'm excited about. First of all, that's not talking about Jesus. It says in Revelation, I think, 20 or 21, that he's the bright morning star. If you're part of the church, he's not giving you himself all over again. It's not who he's talking about here. He's talking about what it says in Isaiah 14. The day star. That, that's literally what that means in the Greek, is the day star. And that's what Lucifer was called. In fact, let's go there. Isaiah 14. Because what does it mean... To be given Lucifer. What does it mean? Isaiah 14, starting at verse 12. Because this is a taunt to Babylon, which is, which by the way is interesting because it's, the Lord is saying literally to taunt Babylon because what he's doing is he's taunting Satan. Verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those, and get this, those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who did not let his prisoners go home? Okay, I want you to understand here what God is doing in giving the morning star. It's what he has been doing the last three and a half years in the courts. That will come down to Satan as well. Everything, and I should say Lucifer, to... to not confuse it with the rest of them, the Satan, but there will be a control given even over him. There will be a control given and he will be seen by others that said, is this the guy? Is this the one? Is this the spirit? Is this the fallen angel that laid the nations low, that tore apart everything, that literally destroyed life after life after life. So there's coming a time where he will be bound. He will be controlled. He will be taken to where people see him. This isn't just at the end. Remember, the mystery is a foreshadowing of what God will do with Israel. Because He will do that during the tribulation. When Jesus comes at the end, He conquers Satan. He conquers the beast. He conquers the dragon and all those with Him. 
Satan is then bound with a large chain and cast to the abyss for a thousand years. Again, only to be released for a short time again. It's like, man, can't he just go away for good and be done? One day. But see, the foreshadowing is what God wanted to do with Israel all along. If they would have received Jesus as their Messiah, he would have done it through them. He will be bound. He'll, he will be paraded. He will be cast. He will be shown as the weak entity that he is. One last place. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 12. Because this is really what shows that it is, it is in our day. This isn't after the tribulation. This isn't anything else. Okay. Let's start at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon who is Lucifer. And the dragon and his angels fought back and he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. Wait a second. I thought he was thrown out of heaven in Genesis 3. He was, because he was thrown out of the Garden of Eden. But we know he has had access to the courts ever since. Because it goes on to say that he accuses day and night. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. See, Satan doesn't just hang around heaven and go anywhere he wants, but he does have full access to the courts. He's had a right to because he had the authority in this land. He is... he he. He, and when it says the Satan, it's not just Lucifer that does this, right? It's all of those that accuse that have authority that are under him as well. He is the accuser of our brothers. He, he accuses day and night. That is what he's being thrown from. Do you understand? We've talked about the courts here a lot, uh, about court of accusations, where when you when you ask forgiveness, when you go before the Lord and just yourself, you, you and the Lord, you're asking forgiveness for something, you are before a court. You're in the court of accusation, for lack of a better name. That's just what we call it. You're before a court. You have an accuser. It's, it could be Lucifer. It could be any of his people. Those accusers are ones that gain authority in your life when you sin. When you agree with the enemy, right? And he goes to court to try to bring accusation even when there shouldn't be accusation. If you don't believe me, go read the book of Job. That's what Job is all about. God says, have you considered Job, my righteous man? Satan said, well, yeah, but you give him everything. Take that away from him and he won't serve you. Well, we know how the book of Job went. Satan then had the right to go after him. Boy, that messes with your mind a little bit. That's because he came and accused, even without authority. He accused day and night. And in God's righteous court, that had to be played out. An accusation had to be proven correct or false. That's what he does with you every day. Imagine, imagine what it's going to be like when he has no more access to that court. Now you still have choice, but he no longer has an advantage to accuse when there's no evidence of you doing anything. I mean, think about this. 
in politics. You don't have to prove something to be wrong that a person did. You just have to say it in public that they did it. That's bad enough. That destroys the testimony. That destroys a person's life, even without the authority to do so. That's what Satan does. That's what he does. So just understand, there's coming a time where that stops because that war in heaven will bind him and will cast him out. And he won't be able to do that anymore. Where he has had the advantage for so long, he is losing the advantage. But this is where we know that it is here in this time frame. He said in verse 11, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That first part of the verse there, they have conquered him by what? The blood of the Lamb. It's by this we know that it's the bride. Right? Because the bride is the only one who has that. That's it. So that has to be between Jesus Christ raising from the dead and going to the Father and the rapture. This will happen. The binding of Lucifer, the binding of his, his brood, if you will, taking him out of the courts, no more access to the courts, must happen before the rapture. Hasn't happened yet. I mean, look at anybody's lives. Look at your own life. Look at what comes against you that makes no sense. See, all that comes from accusations to try to stir something up. That is about to be bound. That's how we know this is in this time. I want to encourage you, and and I'm just going to close in prayer here, but I want to encourage you. Dive into what this means for you in the mystery that He is unfolding. Because you're not just called to know about it. You're not just called to watch it happen. You're called to engage and be a part of it. Because it's the whole bride that's going to fill that cauldron and put the top on it. It's the whole bride. It's not one person. It's not a small group of people. It may start that way, but it's the whole bride that falls into alignment with Him that knocks the enemy out of there. And I don't know what God's going to do, but I know that it will surprise us. In fact, he told me the other day about something that I know that's coming up. And I was asking him about it. And, and he said, well, I have a couple surprises for you. I'm not sure how to take that. I mean, because surprises are really, I enjoy surprises. But I have such a high expectation of what he's going to do. I, I'm like, well, Lord, I, I hope the surprise isn't that you're not going to do this. He said, no. He said, just wait. Just wait. Because his plans for us are great. Because there is a people group who do not know him, who need to know him, who need to know who he is and what he did and know his love. And in order for that to happen, he is going to erase the opposition systematically. And that's what you're to be involved with. You have a voice. Every one of you has a voice. Every one of us who know the Lord Jesus as Savior are saved by the blood of the Lamb. What's the next piece? He's conquered by the word of our testimony. It means you've got to open your mouth got to fight and then the last piece is kind of the defining part of it it has to be more important to you than your own life what Jesus is doing has to be more important to you 
than anything else, even your own life. That's how Satan is conquered. That's how he will be conquered. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you, God. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your plans for your bride. We thank you, God, that you don't just come and fix everything and just make it all better for us but you have an expectation of engagement because that's what's required for relationship. You wanted a partner, not a slave. You wanted friends, not slaves. So Lord, I pray in our own personal time with you, our own personal study, show us our part. Show what part you want us to play as this curse has gone out to all the land. These two curses literally to have shock and awe in this war. You are giving your bride a voice. Help us to trust what you're doing. And by the very word of our testimony, because of who you are and what you did on the cross, victory will be yours. Even the victory that you have called the bride in this great mystery to be a part of. We love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.